Hey, Jordan, just before we get started, yeah. um, I, I kind of just need to get a little bit off my chest. Oh yeah. We, yeah. We don't have to start just yet. What's going on? Well, I, I just have an issue going on at work here with one of my staff members. Yeah. Do you, do you want to say their name? Do you want to, well, you, is it Brian? I, I would prefer not to. Okay. I, I, well, it usually is, but this time, okay. I, I don't want to say, I don't want to okay. say either way. It's probably Brian though, isn't it? You know, you know who it is, but okay. I, again, okay. I just feel bad. Yeah, about sure, calling sure, them sure. out. But, uh, I feel like I've just had the same conversation with them over and over again. Mm. Um, I, I'm getting driven crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I, I just don't know. I don't know what to do about it. Um, do you have any advice? I've like, have you tried just talking with them and just like having it out, you know? Oh, like you sound really angry about it. This is, this is the most irate I've seen you. Well, I feel like irate is a bit of a strong word, but honestly, you just, you don't know how, how bad this actually is. Of course I've tried. Of course I've had the matter out. It's over and over and over that this is going on. But I can tell you from bitter experience that no matter how much I bring up with this person, no matter how specific I am, and no matter how gracious I am, that I just, I don't think it's going to change. I I see one of two things happening. Either one, he's going to throw a fit. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, Brian. Yeah. So it is Brian. Or two, well, again, I mean... We'll just use Brian as a stand-in name for okay, whoever okay, this is, yeah. just as a generic name. Sure. It's just a common name. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. Or number two, I don't think he's just going to get it. It could be, could just fail to understand. And But the worst of all, the absolute worst outcome is that actually he's just going to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to agree with me. He's he's going to you know appear pliable, soft, promise to be different. And one day later, it's going to be exactly the same as it's always been. Ugh. I get it. That's tough. Yeah. (sighs) I don't know what to tell you. Sorry. Yeah, I know. We're not going to solve it. We're not going to solve it. Let's just get started and get into this essay. Lesser Known Lewis, where two friends and C.S. Lewis fans explore his lesser known works. I'm Sean. And I'm Jordan. Join us in season two, where Lewis will be our guide in the Christian life, teaching us to pray and helping us to reflect through the seasons of Advent, Christmas, and Lent. Well, um, for those of you who are listening in on that, I know that some of you are Eston College alum and, uh, and or just run in our circles. Uh, the Brian we're referring to is one of uh, my best friends, really good friend of Jordan, too. Um, so any, any uh, resemblance to people living or dead, fictional or non-fictional in that is, is totally coincidental. We're actually we're just quoting from, from an internal 
dialogue, uh, an imaginary dialogue that Lewis uses to set up the second part of the essay, Miserable Offenders. Um, so Jordan, uh, do you want to just get us kicked off with a, a, a brief, brief nutshell version of what we read in the first part of this essay and, and into what we're going to see in the second part? I would love to. The first part of this sermon, Lewis says that in the prayer book, there's a couple of phrases that people seem to have a problem praying. One of them is that God would give us contrite hearts, crushed hearts. Another is that confessing to God that we are miserable offenders and the prayer that the burden of our sins is intolerable to us. And he tries to convince us that actually these three things are very accurate. Uh, we, we might not feel these things, but we don't need to feel them. They are true of us, that we are miserable offenders. The burdens of our sins are unbearable. Um, and that's what leads us into the second part of the essay, is he says it's actually easier for us to believe that other people's sins are unbearable. Um, we get that part. You know, we, we get the unbearableness of other people's sins, uh, like Sean was demonstrating in the opening. And, and that's kind of uh, Lewis's thing is, is he says, look, either, someone you work with or live with makes your life very much more difficult than it needs to be. Someone else you know has a fatal flaw in their character on which, again and again, all your efforts have been wrecked. And so there's a fatal flaw which whether it breaks him or not it will certainly break you so their yeah. their fatal flaw is whether it's unbearable and intolerable to them it's unbearable and intolerable sin to you i i do think it is important to clarify there too um this 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 is a sin we're not just talking about a sure, like a neutral yeah. characteristic here as I was reading this, actually, Jordan, I don't know about you, but um, I, I I know that very recently we we were covering essays about Lewis's brother who battled with alcoholism, mm. and when when Lewis is talking about us, like literally being broken by other people's behavior, it did make me think of addictions quite a bit, mm. and so yes, it's you know the way that your spouse I are you know. I talk about the way that people chew annoying me so much. And that's just so, that's a petty thing. That's, you know, whatever that can annoy me the way that, you know, people eat or uh, loud yawners, people who vocalize their yawns, <laughs> <laughs> especially if it's like you're in a, we're in chapel or we're in a classroom and, and somebody across the room, if I can hear them yawning, even if I'm not speaking, I'm like, oh, my good friends know that this is a pet peeve of mine and my students, because I've just called so many people out on it. We're not talking about that kind of thing. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about pet peeves here. We're talking about sins that actually, whether they're small or big, are things that are truly wrong in another person because the way that somebody yawns and the way that somebody chews are not truly right or wrong. Um, but these these issues that maybe even people are trying to change, but they are, are incapable or unwilling to change. So, so I, I just think that maybe clarifying that's a little bit important. Uh, but having said that, Lewis does give us um, something practical to hold on to. Jordan... How does he suggest that we approach the problem in this? I've been calling it an essay, but in this sermon. So he suggests basically there's two stages to the, to approach the problem. The first is recognizing that 
I guess coming to grips with the reality that there's no external uh, solution to the problem. Is that how you just said it? I feel like you said it mm-hmm. so much better. Um, no, no. I think that's right. We, we might shorten our reflections on this because actually the next essay that we cover with our guest, uh, Joel Scandret, is is Lewis's thoughts on this expanded. And so we're going to get, we're going to spend more time on this. But basically he says, um, we often think, you know, well, if only I could get a better job or a new house, um, or if only this person wasn't my roommate anymore, then my life would be better. But after a while with maturity, you realize that even then your life wouldn't actually be better because if the world was a better place, if you won the lottery, you would still have all these imperfect people around you and with all these flaws and they, their flaws would still get in your way. Their unbearable sins would still be tripping you up. What he says about these people is this quote, we can see that under the influence of nagging jealousy or possessive selfishness, their character is day by day ceasing to be human which is just a quote that reminds me of Lewis's best book, The Great Divorce. Um, Just the description of day by day, they're ceasing to be human. And then comes the hammer, the cold shower (laughs) again from Lewis, where he says that once you realize this, that people's sins are unbearable and intolerable to you, you start to begin see, to see things the way God sees them. But he says, this is his quote, he is up against their problem as you are. He has also made excellent plans. He has also again and again done his part by sending into the world prophets and wise men and at last himself, his own son. Again and again, his plans too have been shipwrecked by that fatal flaw in people's character. But then Lewis suggests we got to take this one step further because God looks into all these places that we live in and he sees one more person that we don't see. And that's ourself. So that's the log in, look at the log in your own eye that you were saying, Sean. So then it comes to step two in the process about what should we do about this? And Sean, do you want to talk about step two? Yeah. So we've, we've come to grips with the fact that God himself faces this frustration that people aren't changing and that uh, not only is this a problem in the people around me, but this is a problem in me. So this is a human problem. We've come to that place. Um, you know, Lewis has pointed us in that direction. Then he says, you know, there is something that you can do about it. And in, in a good Anglican fashion, he says, um, there is an option that is, quote, free to all and demanded of none— and that is confession and penance. He leaves us to this place of confession and penance. And, and that's why that this fits really well with our, our Lent, uh, Lenten reflections. Confession and penance is just an opportunity for us to really um, open up and bear um, that inner reality, the struggle, the, uh, the behavioral loop that we want to see broken and um, see something change. So, uh, you know, we are going to limit, like you said, Jordan, some of our reflections in this essay, but but I just wanted to hear your response to um, 
what he talks about here about um, repentance and and confession and and how that's played out in your own life and and maybe even just a little bit of what penance is like what do you see here yeah it's a it really is a cold shower this one um i keep saying that but it's <laughs> it it gave me it was hard to to read today even it, i brought out he says perhaps make a list on a piece of paper and i really did bring out a piece of paper and start making a list because there were things that started coming to mind immediately of people I've got to talk to and repent mm-hmm. to. Um, because the reality is that my fatal flaw is the only flaw mm-hmm. that I have any responsibility to do anything about. It's funny. I know we mock we, we, I came up with the idea today to do that opening where we would joke around about you having this coworker problem. The truth is today at work, I had coworker problems and I had a couple discussions with a a couple coworkers about Mm -hmm. one particular coworker who we were all kind of at the end of our rope with. And this one of the things about mm-hmm. this coworker that we are annoyed with, and by the way, let's just call that what it is gossip. We were gossiping, but one of the things we were gossiping about this coworker is that they, <laughs> they keep uh, trying to, our coworker keeps trying to manage us and our jobs even though they're our coworker and have no responsibility for us or our areas of work. Mm. They're not our boss at all. (laughs) And we're looking at them going, look, we're not telling you how to do your job better. And we can see plenty of things that you could be doing better as well. And we're not over there trying to help you telling you where you're, you know, missing the boat, you know? And what I would like to say to him is, Buddy, the only area you are responsible for is your area of work. You're not responsible for my area. The boss isn't going to be mad at you if the things I'm working on are done poorly, mm-hmm. right? And that's a legitimate feeling for me to have about this person. However, also mm-hmm. true is the reality that my responsibility is to before God, I'm only responsible for the things that I'm for my own sins, not his. Right. And I don't need to be going and gossiping Mm -hmm. about his sins. So that's a cold shower Mm -hmm. for me. However, the good news about that, which is the flip side of the same coin. The good news is that, I'm the only one that, or, or the, the fatal flaw that I have is the only fatal flaw that I actually have the power to do anything about. I can't fix my coworkers sin, but Mm -hmm. I'm not responsible Mm -hmm. to either. I can do something about my own sin. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. 
What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I totally 100% agree. And so it's both empowering because um, there is no empowerment when we are complaining about something that someone else is doing that we have no responsibility over, right? Um, and so I totally agree with you. So just make it very practical and say, like, if, mm. if, if I were to mm-hmm. um, follow your example, Jordan, like you said, in, in actually listing out sin and preparing out a way of repentance. There's a couple of ways you can do this. And, and Lewis talks about this in the essay, maybe not in as much detail as I'll go into here, but just really briefly, um, like Jordan said, you know, um, or like you said, Jordan, we sit down and actually make a physical list on a piece of paper. And uh, Lewis encourages us to at least do that so that we're thorough in our repentance before God. And, and then there's an optional second step that can go one of two ways. If you do that, um, you can actually enact penance, which uh, for a lot of people, that word carries medieval connotations of of uh, kind of like a silly way of paying for your sin. This isn't about covering your sin, earning forgiveness from God, earning merit or love for God or anything like that. It is about, there's a difference between forgiveness and being forgiven of a sin and being healed of a sin. And being healed of a sin sometimes and oftentimes requires participation on our behalf. Mm, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. It, you've been forgiven. But yeah. if you want healing from a sin, and yeah. that's kind of what Lewis is talking about here, if you want your flaw to be uh, addressed and fixed, um, then then go for healing. And so, so yeah. what you can do is— Can I just is, interject? Please do, yeah. There, That reminds me of a teaching I heard on there's a healing Jesus did of a paralytic— and he heals the paralytic, and then he tells the paralytic, pick up your mat and walk. The paralytic has something to do after the healing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's well, there's yep. work to be done after. It's not that Jesus heals the paralytic, and then the guy goes around floating after. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, the guy's got to get up, pick up the mat, walk. Yeah, that's interesting. Anyway, and I, I, that's No, I think that's a good observation. I think lots of times Jesus commands people to do things that they were not naturally capable of doing um, as as a part of their healing uh, in, in exactly like what you just said is is a prime example like that he couldn't he couldn't have done that without Jesus empowering him and healing him and and part of penance is is simply repentance which Lewis always says is about, going back to where the mistake was made and correcting course and then moving on. Like mm-hmm. in a math sum, if you're, you know, you're doing long division or something like that and you've made a mistake somewhere along the way, there's no sense in moving on, continuing to make, continuing to move on and hoping you eventually get to the right spot. You've got to go back to where the mistake was made, correct it, and then move on. Yeah, I love that. And, and I think that if we were... Uh, willing to do that, that there would be, it would just release a lot of reconciliation and correct a lot of ills Mm. in the world. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. again, whether, so uh, we said point one, make the list on the piece of paper. And then point two, we're talking about this act of penance for each one, the act of making it better. Is there something within my control that I can do to make it better? And so, uh, you know, if you have a a compulsive um, entitlement issue, then maybe going and serving other people, especially people who, like, let's just say you feel like entitled all the time for, um, this isn't necessarily a sin, but 
but you're always making your friends pay for your meals. This is just a very simple, mm. tangible example. Take some of those people out who have bought you 50 meals and, and buy them a free lunch mm. as an example. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's that tangible and that that practical. And then of course, if there's more egregious sins, like if you have harmed someone and it would be appropriate for you to go and, and make some kind of restitution, then do it. And if it's small things, do small things. If it's a big thing, um, maybe a big gesture. But the other side, like let's say that you you do that penance or you or you don't necessarily know what to do. Uh, you could talk to a pastor, um, a priest, uh, or, or somebody else who's another mature believer, somebody who you look up to. Um, you, but you want to do it out loud. You want to confess it out loud, and you want to uh, maybe invite them into your healing journey a little bit. Um, Jordan, you had some thoughts on, and, and it actually ties in with some other Lewis writings, you had some thoughts that we were talking about um, regarding how to confess something. Do you want to share that here? Yeah, sure. Lewis says that when you're confessing, whoever you're confessing to, even if it's just writing it down on the piece of paper or praying out loud to the Lord, um, he says there's something about the mere words. Um, on the one hand, don't be merely or don't be melodramatic about your sins, uh, making you know molehills out of mountains, um, but also don't slur things over. Use the plain, straightforward, simple words is what he encourages us to do. And it reminds me of some advice I encountered. Um, I was a part of a men's group for a little while. And one of the books that we read, one of the books that we read was The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Another that we read was called, I believe it's called The Death of Porn by Ray Ortland. And in it, Ray Ortland advises men to be direct with their confessions to one another when they, I'll say, fall into sin. Because what we often do when we fall into sin regarding sexual sin is we'll say, I messed up, I fell into sin, I screwed up again, um, can you pray for me, I'm struggling, will euphemize things? But Ray Ortland says, um, you know, if you're looking at porn, biblically, probably the correct thing to say would be, I committed adultery with my eyes. That's mm. what the Bible teaches. Mm. And um, I got to tell you, that's a lot harder to say than just saying, can you pray for me? I'm struggling, mm. you know, to really, but to really just be plain and straightforward with it. But that reminds me of, I think it's Diggory in The Magician's Nephew. There's a section where Diggory, Aslan asks Diggory what happened at a certain point, and Diggory has a hard time telling Aslan the whole truth. Um, and I think there's also maybe a spot in Paralandra where Ransom has a hard time saying the full truth about what happened. Hmm. I might be misremembering that. It's been a while since I've read Paralandra. But... Um, Sean, what did you think about what Lewis had to say about the just the seriousness of bringing things before God, like nakedly, without excuse in confession? Yeah, when at the college here, um, I teach intro to Christian life. I've brought that up a couple of times, and um, we talk about confession in that course. It comes up in some other um, kind of spiritual formation and spiritual theology courses that we do. And I completely agree with Lewis just saying, say it straight, say it clear, say it bluntly when you're confessing to somebody. 
And then the only other thing that maybe I would add that Lewis doesn't necessarily talk about here is that, um, you know, he, he talks about taking it to a priest and, uh, and so that would be implicit in what's said here. But if you're going to take it to somebody else who's not used to hearing confession, there's a knee-jerk thing that we're going to want to do, and that is to say, it's okay, um, you know, what you did is not that bad. We want to soften the blow, or we get uncomfortable, so we'll be sarcastic, make jokes, you know, all, any of those kinds of things that would be, um, a, you know, a minor defense mechanism. And so you just want somebody who's, gonna, who's, who's not going to be condemning or, or shocked um, by what you're saying, but also somebody who is not going to then say, oh, you just messed up, you know, uh, especially if you're taking Jordan's advice here and, and being as clear as to say, you know, I committed all truth in my eyes. They're not going to say, hey, it's okay. We all do it. You want somebody who's going to minister grace, um, but a grace that doesn't give excuses either, because that's not the point. The point is to get sin out and to um, clean up those dusty and and shadowy corners of our hearts and our behavior. Hmm. And and I would say that if you go through that process, um, it makes more sense why we would say, and how we could properly say, Lord, create in me a contrite heart. Give me a contrite heart. Lord, mm-hmm. I, I feel miserable and piteous right now, and and mm-hmm. these, these sins are unbearable or intolerable. That makes so much more sense. So, and, and, and again, I'll just say this again. I believe that this is one of the most healing acts that a person can undertake for sure. Yeah. And if that, uh, if all this introspection sounds too morbid, if, if the practices of Lent are getting you down in the dumps and you're like, I want out, it's, you know, we're seven days into Lent and I want out. Um, Lewis says that the alternative is more morbid. Hmm. Uh, if as if an examined life <laughs> feels more morbid, um, who who says that the unexamined life is not worth living? Is that Plato or Socrates? Mm-hmm. One of them. Anyway, Lewis is Lewis is saying that where an unexamined life leads is m- more morbid. And um, so we're just going to leave you with the end of this sermon, quoting it. Lewis says, Those who do not think about their own sins make up for it by thinking incessantly about the sins of others. It is healthier to think of one's own. It is the reverse of morbid. A serious attempt to repent and really know one's own sins is, in the long run, a lightening and relieving process. He goes on to say, At first there is bound to be dismay and often terror, and later greater pain. Yet that is much less in the long run than the anguish of a mass of unrepented and unexamined sins lurking in the background of our minds. It is the difference between the pain of the tooth about which you should go to the dentist and the simple, straightforward pain which you know is getting less every moment when you have had the tooth out. That brings us to the end of Miserable Offenders. If you haven't read Miserable Offenders, again, it will only take 10 minutes out of your day and is totally worth it. If you have, or once you have, we would love to know what parts stuck out to you the most. What did the Holy Spirit seem to be highlighting to you, and and how is he drawing you closer to Jesus? 
send us an email at lesserknownlewis at gmail.com or contact us on Facebook or Instagram. You can find us by searching our name. I will put links to all our Lent essays in today's show notes if you want to read ahead. Next week's essay with the Reverend Dr. Joel Scandret is The Trouble with X, and it builds on today's essay. Whichever you end up reading. As you meditate on this lesser-known Lewis work this week, we pray that it would be Jesus who would become more well-known. Christ, your son.